You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode 21. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Today's a very special episode because we're kind of doing a similar thing that we did in episode 20, where I'm going to take one of my very popular pieces of content and create a sort of audio version of that. Uh, So today we're going over my ultimate guide on how to become a DJ. Um, But this was also the first time ever that I have uh, sort of streamed live while recording. So I started using Periscope, which is kind of a hot new thing, and so I streamed this live on Periscope while I was recording, and you might notice a couple of little audio anomalies. I apologize for that. There was a time or two where I whacked the microphone and couldn't just go back and edit it out like I normally would because I was recording it live. So this is an edited podcast, but there was a live element to it, and I wanted to capture that. So if you would like to join in, I think I'll do this again in the future as well as just post little videos here and there. Jump onto Periscope and add me. I'm at DJ with Passion, just like on Twitter. You can also just do a search for passionatedj.com and then hit the follow button. I'll pop right up. So without further ado, this is I Want to Be a DJ. Now what? Okay, so welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Today, I want to kind of do a similar thing that we did in episode 20, which was um, take one of my more popular pieces of content, one of my ultimate guides that uh, a lot of people seem to be getting value from, and to to sort of make an audio version of that Uh, piece of content. So today we're going over the How to Become a DJ, The Ultimate Guide. Uh, This is by far my most popular article so far to date. Um, So it's one of those things that I wanted to make sure that uh, I create an audio version because some uh, some people like to consume their content in audio, especially, uh, for instance, podcast listeners. So I know uh, some of you guys were uh, wondering where where the podcast was uh, because I've been on this uh, schedule of releasing every two weeks or so. And uh, as some of you may or may not know, I just got married, uh, so things were a little hectic there for a while. We had a lot of last-minute planning to do and that sort of thing. So um, now that the dust is sort of settling from that, you know, as soon as we got home, from the wedding, literally the next day, they started, uh, some contractors came and started tearing our kitchen up for a kitchen renovation that we're doing. So things have been kind of crazy. So I wanted to uh, make sure that I uh, released a really good episode for you guys this time. So I hope you guys enjoy. I know there are a lot of brand new DJs or uh, DJs who are kind of, uh, they've poked around and they've decided they want to kind of take a look at this whole DJing thing, but they don't really know where to go. And so this guide is sort of a soup to nuts, uh, how to become a DJ from a very top level, very basic. Um, it's, you know, I'm not going to teach you uh, today how to beat match, how to, you know, in depth, like how to promote yourself and that sort of thing. But just as a general overview, what you can do to get started on this path. 
the idea of becoming a DJ is appealing for a lot of different reasons for different people. And so I hope that uh, through this guide and through this podcast that you guys can uh, decide what your general approach is going to be going forward. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to go ahead and address a couple of comments. Um, I had an article uh, that I wrote a while back that was called Why DJs Are Not Musicians, which is um, obviously uh, maybe a bit uh, controversial of a headline, but... um, My whole point in that was uh, sort of to express that uh, being a DJ doesn't inherently make you a musician. In other words, uh, you don't get to start mixing songs and then say, I'm a musician now. But that doesn't mean that uh, there's no such thing as a uh, DJ who is a musician. Uh, Thank you, uh, Daryl, on the stream there for your kind comments. Appreciate that. Welcome to the stream. As I said, uh, we're recording the podcast live today, so I hope you listeners of the podcast don't mind my little bit of interaction with our Periscope listeners. Uh, By the way, if you want to uh, follow in next time, this might be something that we do uh, on a repeat basis. So follow at DJ with Passion on Periscope, or you can just uh, do a search for PassionateDJ.com, and it should come right up. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter already at DJ with Passion, you'll probably see the little tweets when I go live as well. So anyhow, uh, in this Why DJs Are Not Musicians um, article, uh, there's a guy named Pete who who gave this following comment. He says, I'm very interested in this kind of topic and find the article good in a few points. I think it is a very picky topic because the way music is created and performed is changing very fast. We see the evolution of push or tractor or stems and also machine and the Akai MPC. If you see Arab music, for example, perform on the MPC, you will undoubtedly acknowledge his talent. I would call him a musician. Then you have performing DJs, like you pointed out, DJ Uncut, Ian Golden, who I would call musical performers. I try to part the skills to three groups, DJs, performers, and musicians. A DJ is going, I'm, so, I'm sorry, a DJ is playing his or other people's music in a good or bad mix and can be an artist in his taste. A performer plays his or other people's music and has direct control over the music, thus it sounds different than the original by turning knobs, adding effects, and what have you. I would call that creative slash musical performance. And third, the definition of a musician, he is sitting at the core of producing sound and music at his fingertips with common or old school instruments like piano, bass, guitar, etc. Or new instruments like synthesizers, push, MPC, and so on. And he brings up Beardy Man as an example. I think everybody should be trying to be as good as they can in whatever genre and job they have or they are doing and be proud to be able to call themselves a DJ, performer, musician, or produ- producer and try not to be something else if they are not. Uh, thanks, Pete, for that comment. You know, it's this is a really good comment to start this episode of the podcast out with because uh, it's a perfect example of how the uh, the different perspectives that people have on performers and DJs and what it is that they do. And I want to address that right off the bat because a lot of people will read this article, this ultimate guide, and they will they'll read the entire thing supposedly, and then they'll get to the bottom. And they'll say, uh, you know, something like, thank you so much for writing this article. What do I do now? And we talked about this a couple episodes ago when we had Joe Pardo on as a co-host. And it's one of those things that I I can't tell what people are looking for when they just ask me a very basic question like that. What do I do now? Well, that depends. What are your goals? And 
I think maybe I have a suspicion that some of those people are jumping on asking me how to become an instant superstar. And um, if I'm being perfectly honest, if I had the one quick answer to that question, I, I probably would be busy touring the world right now. So that that's not what I intend to do with Passionate DJ is to, is to teach people how to be this sort of overnight success. Uh, it's more along the lines of how to be a successful DJ and a better DJ um, based on whatever your criteria is uh, as far as what you want to do with the craft. So my advantage here is not that I'm a superstar and I'm going to teach you how to do it. Um, that's not where I'm coming from on this. Um, I'm more of a I'm learning and I'm going to help other people and teach them what I'm learning along the way. So I'm very transparent with what I do. I try to bring others into the fold and say, how can we push together to make sort of uh, an impact on all of us? And that is something that I've done in my local scene, as well as with Passionate DJ, and it really seems to work. It's uh, just another form of of that uh, positive networking that I preach about all the time. So Pete, thank you so much for that comment. I had an email from Kyle, and he says, I turned 47 last week. I've been a successful financial planner for 23 years. Dang, I sound old. I have got to be the youngest 47-year-old in history. I have DJed on and off for free for years, both during and after college, and now more recently at high school dances and birthday parties. Anyway, today is day one. I'm buying a DJ business. I've been trolling the web hoping to find someone like you. I believe in life people don't become successful on their own, so I've been cold calling DJs here in Atlanta, Georgia, looking for advice. It has not gone well, but then I found your site. I'm going to immerse myself in your site tonight. Wish me luck, and thanks for paying it forward, my friend. And that's from Kyle, a.k.a. DJ Birds. Kyle, uh, thank you so much for that comment, and I hope to only continue helping you on your journey. And uh, don't feel too bad. You know, there's... uh, there's a broad range, a broad demographic of uh, listeners and viewers on Passionate DJ. Um, I've got people in their 40s and 50s. You're not the only one. I've got people who are 13, 15 years old, and then I've got people my age I'm in, my, in our 30s. So we're, we run the whole gamut, and I'm glad to have you on board, and I hope that uh, maybe you can share some details of how your journey is going as far as buying the DJ business and building it. Uh, That's something I've never done, so I would love to learn from you on that. Let's go ahead and move on to how to become a DJ. So the first thing that you want to do if you're just sort of thinking about becoming a DJ, but you're not maybe 100% sure what that means or why you want to be a DJ, I think it's important to get that sort of aspect squared away right off the bat. So step one is to learn what DJs actually do. And I don't mean that to be condescending because... um, I think a lot of people take it that way, but what I mean by that is that there are a lot of different kinds of DJs, and which means there are a lot of different reasons for those DJs to exist. So you've got, for instance, your, your club DJ, your uh, bar resident DJ. This is usually somebody who has a recurring gig at a specific venue or, or uh, a bar, whatever. Uh, each club will have a different feel. Each one will have a different musical programming, demographic, um, audience. And so that means that these clubs and bars or whatever are going to vary as far as what they expect from your musical selection. So 
uh, you know, this kind of nightclub DJ, their job is to keep the dance floor moving uninterrupted, often by doing long blends, you know, long transitions or some some other trickery to keep people's feet moving. Basically, they're the heart of the party. They're the pulse. They're there to get people moving and uh, drinking to get the bar sales up. We also have the performer, the guest DJ, and we kind of addressed this in the comment earlier. Um, and by the way, there's often a lot of overlap in these, so don't think that you have to pigeonhole yourself and pick one or the other um, as far as uh, what you want to be. Um, but just know that there are a number of options, and somebody who's talking about becoming a DJ might have some completely different thought in their mind as somebody else who wants to become a DJ. So the perform performer DJ, this is kind of the exhibitionist. This is your... Uh, your scratch DJs, your turntablists, the, the people that are putting on a show because they have some DJ-related skills that they want to show off. People go to see this kind of DJ because of who they are, their reputation, what people think they can do behind the decks, people with a following, that sort of thing. You also have your mobile and wedding DJs, which uh, I think is what Kyle is going after as far as uh, buying this business and trying to grow it. The mobile DJ or the wedding DJ, this is typically more of an entrepreneur type. They're, uh, they, this is where most people will have success making money as a DJ right off the bat if they have enough business sense to do it properly. But it comes with um, a certain number of criteria. This, this kind of DJ needs to be willing to take, well, often needs to be willing to take requests um, especially the brides, for example, um, so uh, or even playlist, entire playlists. You have to be willing to speak on a microphone, and typically you need to invest in your own sound equipment at this point, because whereas the uh, maybe the club resident DJ just shows up with maybe with his controller or whatever he's playing on, or um, or is using whatever the club provides, um, but then they have the whole sound system built into the room. Well, you don't necessarily have that if you're playing wedding gigs, corporate gigs, sweet 16s, um, graduation parties, anywhere that's not a club where they have music every week or every day or whatever, then you might need to have your own sound to bring to that. Uh, if those of you watching on Periscope can see behind me, I've got a pair of QSC K12s back there, and I use those to play smaller shows, um, which is pretty nice. They do well for a, for a small to medium-sized room. Then there's, of course, the radio DJ, which is a totally different thing. You know, this is uh, the DJ, this is kind of where the concept of the DJ even comes from, and it's often neglected when we talk about this kind of topic. So I don't have a whole lot of experience as a radio DJ, and I have a friend who we've mentioned on the podcast once or twice. His name is Steve Gilson. Uh, he goes by Silent Gloves, and he runs a really cool weekly rate internet radio show that he's built up a following on has a way better radio voice than I do uh, some of you may have heard it when he left a voicemail and I played it on the show yeah I'd love to have him on to talk about that but for the most part I, f I focus more on the, the sort of live audience uh, form of DJing forms of DJing but uh, the the radio DJ is worth mentioning here if that's something that you're going after and a lot of these concepts will apply as well so step one learn what DJs actually do, okay? And then step two kind of is a progression of that. Determine why you want to DJ. So do you just have stars in your eyes? Do you want to be a superstar? Do you want to start a business? Is this something you do just for fun? 
Is this a means of artistic expression? You know, it's it's worth taking some time to figure out why this interests you and what it is that catches your attention as far as becoming a DJ. I put a note in the guide that says, if, if I'm being completely honest, I wouldn't count on success if your sole purpose is to get rich and famous. Because that's kind of an... I don't want to say it's an empty goal. I think it's a worthy goal. But if that's all you've got, then DJing is probably not the easiest way to get there if all you care about is being famous. It's, I think it often looks that way because you see all these uh, so-called overnight successes um, that pop up out of nowhere. But I don't think that that's just because you see that story over and over again. I don't think that it's very common. As In other words... There are thousands and thousands of DJs trying to do the same thing, and only a couple of them really fall through the cracks and become these big famous DJs. But that's not to say that you can't make money as a DJ, that you that it can't be your job, or that you shouldn't shoot for the stars. You know, it's I'm a big fan of kind of the general idea that anything worth doing is worth doing with full conviction and passion, which is why, you know, it brings you to passionatedj.com. But if the only reason you're getting into DJing is because you want to be famous, it's likely that you won't have the drive to do the required work because um, you're not passionate about DJing, you're passionate about being famous, you know what I mean? And in today's world, everyone is a DJ, so uh, standing out takes a lot of hard work and even maybe some luck. You know, many people want to DJ because they love music and the idea of sharing it with a receptive audience. Uh, some think it will help them get laid. Some people want it as a source of income. Whatever that reason is, identify it so that you can act accordingly and that you have a plan to advance your career. So step one, learn what DJs actually do. Step two is determine why you want to DJ. Step three is to test the water. So this is where we're actually getting into giving it a try. So what I suggest in the guide is to get your feet wet using some free DJ software. So this will let you kind of get a feel for some of the software, uh, lets you get an idea of what the DJ does if you're not already familiar, without really making any big investments, which is nice. So the barrier to entry to, to DJing as far as trying it out for a career or a hobby or whatever is way lower than it used to be. Uh, it used to be that you had to invest a lot of money just to just to buy the music to try out DJing, let alone a set of turntables, a decent mixer, and that sort of thing, and promoting yourself. Um, as we all know, it's a totally different climate these days, and so this is a good way to just kind of get your feet wet. And I give a couple of links here to pieces of software that you can try out for free, and you don't even necessarily need a controller or anything to try them out. Um, so I list Virtual DJ Home, Mix, and Tractor Pro 2, which you can try uh, demo versions of, uh, I'm a Tractor user myself, but uh, a lot of people like Virtual DJ. I don't have a lot of experience with Mix. And then the the other um, obvious option is Serato DJ, but you typically need to have a, a corresponding piece of hardware to use Serato. It's kind of enabled in that way. So it's a little harder to try out if you're not already invested. So uh, Virtual DJ is a great one because you can get a fully featured piece of DJ software using that without paying a dime. Tractor is a little more professional, I think, but 
it does cost some money. So I will list the links to these pieces of software in the show notes for this episode, which you can get by going to passionatedj.com forward slash zero two one. Um, I'll give you kind of my notes over these pieces of software real quick. Uh, Virtual DJ is entirely free and fully functional piece of DJ software. It supports as many decks as you want, including pretty, uh, includes pretty much all the bells and whistles that you would expect, such as key lock, sync, loops, sampling, recording, etc. If you want more advanced features, such as maybe time code control, uh, which is something that we can talk about later, but basically where you use uh, special records to control, say, MP3s that are playing on your laptop. This is kind of what uh, Serato and Final Scratch made popular a few years ago. Uh, Well, I guess it's been a handful of years ago now, but other advanced features, maybe video output, etc. You can upgrade to one of their paid products, but as far as just the base software, uh, it's good to go. So Virtual DJ is a great option to, to get started with. Many people choose it because it's fully featured, well supported by the community, and obviously because it's free. So... Mix, that's mix with three X's, M-I-X-X-X. Uh, this is a popular option for good reason. It's entirely cross-platform. So uh, there's even a Linux version, which is, uh, as a computer geek, that's pretty crazy. So it's very well-featured, it's open source, and it actually supports timecode control right out of the box. So that's pretty awesome. As far as I'm aware, that's the only free software to date that does that. The community has built in support for a lot of uh, popular library formats and uh, DJ controllers, so that's pretty awesome. And then, of course, uh, my personal choice is Tractor Pro 2. This is a Native Instruments product, and it's obviously it's not free, but they do provide a free and fully functional demo, so you can try it out before making that investment. Tractor syncing, quantization, their effects, all that kind of stuff in my opinion, is the best in the industry right now. Um, They even offer their own hardware, such as uh, the Control S4, the Control S8, which those of you on Periscope, you can kind of see behind me right here. The nice thing about Native Instruments is their hardware and software is so tightly integrated that I really appreciate it. And I kind of, I made a parallel a couple of days ago that I like uh, Native Instruments for a lot of the same reasons that I'm an Apple fan. So... Uh, you kind of get that a little bit of that closed system, that tight integration and that sort of thing. Um, if you don't like that about Apple products, Tractor might not be for you. It's not entirely closed as in you have to buy their products to use it with. That's actually kind of more of a Serato thing. Um, you can map you know, any MIDI controller to do what, what you want. I don't want to get too advanced with that because this is supposed to be a more of a beginner's guide. But there's a number of third-party controllers that support Tractor right out of the box. For example, if you get a lower-end controller that ships with Tractor, that can be a really low-cost way to get involved in the the Tractor environment. Uh, Oh, one more thing that's worth mentioning as far as software goes. Choose a software package and start playing around with it. There are plenty of tutorials on YouTube and that sort of thing. And if you're having any specific issues with your software of choice, you can actually go to passionatedj.com forward slash ask and uh, leave me a voicemail, and I will uh, do my best to answer your questions uh, on the next episode of the podcast. So, um, and also, if, you're, if your entire goal is to be uh, this sort of scratch uh, exhibitionist, turntablist DJ, y- you probably should actually invest in turntables at this point. 
already or at least a very capable all-in-one controller. And if you go to uh, passionatedj.com slash controller guide, um, I will give you my recommendations as far as that goes. So what do we have so far? Step one, learn what DJs actually do. Step two, determine why you want to DJ. Step three, test the waters. Now, step four is to learn the basic skills. So this is where you have to kind of bear down and start learning. You have to learn how to mix, how to EQ, phrasing, beat matching, uh, prep work, all those kind of basic um, requirements of the technical aspects of DJing. I'm only going to cover them briefly. I'm not going to teach you how to beat match, how to EQ, and all that stuff because I like addressing those topics on their own time. But I'll just kind of cover them briefly here. You'll quickly learn that uh, beat matching is a major point of contention in the DJ community. Some people think that you are only a real DJ if you play records and you mix everything manually. Uh, No laptop involvement, no looping, no quantization just two pieces of wax or more, and a mixer. Um, And if that's the approach you want to take to your DJing, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't let anybody discourage you or shame you for your choice of format or equipment or whether you like to play vinyl or MP3s. Uh, Just do what makes you happy and then figure out how to do that well and how to serve your, your audience, whoever that is, using that format. But... I do recommend learning how to beat match whether or not it's what you do in your day-to-day DJing because technology has kind of made beat matching obsolete and not everybody likes to hear that. But, uh, I mean, CDJs from Pioneer can manually sync. Tractor can manually sync. Serato can manually... Everything is on a clock that syncs now. This is something that technology has allowed, which opens up doors for uh, a lot of things, a lot of options for DJs, but uh, some people feel like it takes a human element away. That's for you to decide personally, um, But and, and I do a little bit of both. It just depends on what I'm feeling at the time. But the purpose of beat matching is to get the two tracks that you're mixing to play at the same tempo. In other words, that's the speed at which the song is playing as well as the phase, which is the making sure that the beats from both tracks play in time with each other. So I make a parallel, and there's a, an awesome YouTube video by a guy named Ella Skins, E-L-L-A Skins. He's been making pretty awesome free tutorial videos about DJing for, I don't know, years and years. And he makes a parallel to, it's like uh, two two cars driving next to each other on the highway. And So the tempo would represent your speed, such as 60 miles an hour. Whereas phase is like having the two cars directly next to each other on the highway. So if you have two cars and they're exactly side by side and they're both moving at 60 miles an hour and they're going in a straight line, neither one is getting ahead of the other, that would be like two cars being in the same tempo, 60 miles an hour, and the same phase being right next to each other. So... If one car gets in front of the other, that would be out of phase, just slightly, and that that causes some kind of audio anomalies. And if you get a little further out of phase, you start getting what we call that shoes in the dryer effect. Okay, the thump, 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 and suddenly uh, it just sounds like a jumbled mess. 
Now, the nice thing that's, uh, that comes along with learning how to beat match, even though you kind of sort of don't need to anymore, is that, uh, well, firstly, it gives you the ability to mix on anything. You can mix on records, CDJs, controllers. Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't really, all you have to do is have a good ear and the skills to, to match things up. Um, but it, it also really helps to develop your ears, helps you tune your ears in a way so that you, uh, you know what to listen for. Even though the technology is, is really great and it's gotten good, it's, um, it's not perfect. And it's much better to have an ear you can trust. And learning how to beat match manually is a really, really good way to train your ear. It helps you identify when tracks drift out of time or phase. And you know, even when I'm using DJ software, if I'm, if I'm using sync, I still use my ear, you know, I still rely on my ear to adjust the phase and everything because I know from beat matching what that should sound like and if the software doesn't get it perfectly right or if I haven't prepped that track and gridded it or whatever I can just quickly tell by ear like this is a little off and I can make an adjustment and say okay that sounds right and then move on it just kind of builds that skill into your head so that you know it does this sound off or you know what's the problem here helps you identify problems so I highly recommend learning to beat match even if you don't have to because it will make you a better mix DJ um, whether you're digital or not that being said you know there's a lot of mobile DJs radio DJs and even some club DJs who who don't even blend their tracks they don't beat match at all in that sort of way uh, and that's okay too you know nobody says that you have to do that like I said there's different reasons for all these kinds of DJing techniques and for these types of DJs. So you can always come back to learning beat matching later. You don't have to learn this to proceed, uh, but I think it's something worth exploring. Beat matching is uh, typically accomplished by using a pitch fader or something on your controller, your turntable that speeds up and slows down the track. And then you can use a, a jog wheel or pitch bend button or actually touching your record to adjust the phase, in other words, the, the two cars that are right next to each other to get them exactly lined up bumper to bumper. Pitch fader for tempo, uh, jog wheel, etc. for phase. Another thing that uh, is kind of a basic skill uh, that we talked about a little bit, uh, phrasing, and that's not phasing, but phrasing with an R. Um, this will make sense to anybody who's ever played a musical instrument or if you were in band or anything like that. A song is structured based on beats and bars, or you can call them measures, which make up the song's phrases. So this simply means to mix your tracks together at points in which the songs, uh, at points that make sense. So almost all music that people DJ is in 4-4 time. Um, and if you have played an instrument, you understand what that means. If not, it's not a big deal, but uh, the basic thing you need to know is everything happens in fours. So if you think of, uh, say, a techno or house song that has that oots, 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 that boots and pants <laughs> sound that everybody talks about, that's, uh, it's a four count. It's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Almost all popular music is in 4-4 four, four time, uh, whether you play a, you know, EDM, hip-hop, funk, top 40. So this just means that there are four beats in a measure and that the quarter note gets one beat. We don't have to get that technical with it. But it's important to make sure that uh, you listen for audio clues. So 
maybe you're listening to a song and then it's coming to the end of sort of a musical phrase. Think of it like like the song is talking to you. It's speaking in sentences. And then you might be coming up to the end of a phrase and you'll hear like uh, maybe a reverse crash symbol that and it hits the, the symbol on the one count. And then you know to start counting one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And I link to um, a video in the article, and I'll put it in the show notes as well, which gives a pretty good explanation of how this phrasing thing works. But it's one of those things that once you learn it, it kind of becomes second nature, and you almost you don't have to necessarily count out loud or anything, but I'm a foot tapper. <laughs> That's how I kind of keep tempo, and I don't necessarily need to, but it really just helps me stay in the groove and that's something that's a carryover from my piano lessons as a kid i was taught to tap my foot and so that just carries on and it also just kind of keeps my keeps me in the groove keeps me interested people see that i'm doing it and nod my head and i think they like that as well so the other basic skill that's important to learn is your your gain control which is basically controlling the volumes of the different things that are going on and this this is becoming increasingly important because DJs are doing a lot more things these days rather than mixing one record into another record a lot of them are uh, we've got remix decks and serato flip and loops and all this you know effects boxes and all these crazy things and if you're just slamming all of these signals together into one and not making room for each other, you're just going to end up with a jumbled mess. You're going to clip your signal. Uh, it's not going to be good. So a typical DJ mixer contain or mixing software uh, contains a few different types of volume control. So each channel has its own gain or trim knob, which allows you to adjust the level of that signal. So basically you watch your meters and typically what I do is I adjust the volume of whatever track I'm about to bring in. I cue up the loudest, what I think is the loudest part of the track and then I adjust the gain so that I'm barely tapping the first red LED on whatever I'm mixing on once in a while. If you're slamming it, slamming it into the red, that's a bad thing. So try not to ever do that. But I try to make it so that maybe once every great, once in a while, it might peak and just barely tap that red. And to me, that's the optimal hot signal that that kind of works across the board with today's uh, DJ hardware and software. And then once you've got, that's called, called a pre-gain, and you set that level. Uh, you can hear it in your headphones, and this is just preparing to bring a track in so that when you move your line fader up, which is uh, another kind of volume control, this is what actually gets sent out to the house sound, uh, the little knobs and sliders on your mixer. This is where you're actually putting the sound live. So if you haven't adjusted your gain properly beforehand, you might bring that in and it might be way too loud or way too quiet and you have no idea. So... Uh, you set your gain knob, then you can use your faders to bring the actual live sound in. You also have your crossfader, which instead of being um, a, just a volume control for one channel, it will blend between one channel and another. So it's kind of like if you have the crossfader, you know, 30% of the way over, then it'll mix that much song, uh, that much of the sound with the song that's already playing. And then, of course, you've got your main output. Um, I adjust my gains kind of the same way, but your main output, if you're playing in a live situation, if you have a sound guy there, 
ask him where you want him to set where he wants you i'm sorry or she to set the gain level um, for the signal that they're getting and then let them handle the actual volume control some programs like tractor have an auto gain feature it kind of gets you in the ballpark of where your levels should be it can be helpful um, i'm i like doing it manually because i just don't feel like it always gets it right but it is uh, very helpful for new DJs, I think, who are worried about you know bringing one track in and it being too quiet and then killing the energy. I think it's better to do that by ear and by looking at your meters, but an auto gain feature can help with that. Just kind of as a side note, for years DJs have had a bad habit of slamming their their tracks into the red like all the time, just loud, 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 and this is detrimental to your sound, but many manufacturers have tried to compensate for this and they've adjusted the way that their mixers uh the way they meter the sound so that you can mix in the red and not necessarily hurt anything and then software has its own gain structure and it can get kind of confusing so the best thing you can do is read the manuals for your own equipment and see what it says about the sort of thing but when in doubt Staying in the green is just fine, and that's the safest way to go. So don't ever be afraid to just stay in the green and boost your signal outside of your own personal DJ mixer. We're getting a little too involved here. I um, don't want to ramble too much, but uh, EQing is another basic factor that you should be learning at this point. And this is sort of the uh, your bass, your treble, your mids. And some mixers have uh, a four-band EQ, so they'll have a, a bass or a low a low mid, a low high, and a high. And this just adjusts the uh, you know the high frequencies or the low frequencies in and out of your mix so that you can kind of mesh them together. Especially your lower frequencies. Your bass knob is probably the one you'll use most if you're anything like me um, because I like to, uh, for instance, uh, cut out the bass of another track and bring a, uh, a new kick drum is coming in on the incoming track. It provides a nice steady transition where you don't have this muddy low-end bass sound you know conflicting so anywho we've got beat matching phrasing volume control or gain control and eqing now step five is to break out of the box if you've already started kind of fooling around with all this software you like where things are going you feel like the djing is right for you um, invest in some hardware get an idea of what djing actually feels like the problem with using a keyboard and mouse and stuff is um, you can't really do more than one thing at a time. And uh, a DJ is a huge multitasker, no matter what kind you are. And that's hard to do that when you can only sort of input one thing at a time. So most people, most new DJs, and even really a lot of seasoned DJs, they go the route of the all-in-one controller. Once again, you can go to passionatedj.com slash controller guide, and I'll make some recommendations for you. But it's definitely the best way for a budding DJ to get started, and controllers have gotten just amazingly good in the past few years. There are some really great ones, no matter what your, your budget range is. So, you know, you've got your Control S4, S8 for Tractor. You've got Pioneer DDJ series. Vestax makes a lot of great mixers, though they've kind of slowed down recently. Uh, Reloop. There's all kinds of great stuff out there. And uh, you, can, you can really get started in this step for trying out uh, with some hardware and get, get a hands-on approach for just one or $200 if you spend your money right. So it's really, really not too bad. 
uh, once you've kind of given yourself a proof of concept and you decide this is what you want to do, uh, to just make a little investment and get yourself an all-in-one controller, and it's basically everything that you need to get started, um, often including uh, whatever software you need to use that controller. Another route you could go is the modular controller route. So this is if you, instead of having an all-in-one box that has everything you need to DJ built in, um, you can get each piece individually. So you might have uh, something that controls your deck A, and then another piece that controls your deck B, and then another controller that uh, handles your mixing, uh, you know, your mixer functions. Then maybe you'll have uh, something like a MIDI fighter, um, which is uh, something that djtechtools.com sells, and that's for uh, doing different controllerism type effects and stuff. So this is kind of the, uh, often the choice for the geeky or gadgety types, or if you have very specific needs for the way you perform, or if you just need to add something on to your existing setup, that's what these modular controllers are for. But if you're going this route, uh, you want to make sure all your bases are covered because modular setups are the most flexible, but they're usually also the most complex. So it's important to keep that in mind. I would recommend that if you're a new DJ, that you just get an all-in-one controller and start there rather than trying to piece something together that you might not be happy with in the long run. Uh, You'll probably save yourself some money that way. And then, of course, you can always go the, uh, the CDJs route. Uh, CDJs in a mixer, and this is kind of the uh, quote-unquote professional standard. This is what uh, most performers do, though that's kind of slowly changing. Everybody's kind of breaking into their own little workflows, but as far as an industry standard goes, it's typically your pioneer CDJs and a mixer. The main reason that people want to go the CDJ route is because it's that sort of standard. Any you know, big-time club in the world is going to have a set of CDJ-2000s. People want to know how to play on this stuff so that they can just show up with their music and go. It's, you know, it's what pro club DJs use. People want to be familiar with it. Most modern CDJs are great for scratching, so if you want to be a scratch DJ, you could also get uh, CDJs instead of turntables. But they're pricey, very pricey, and that's kind of the big downside. Um, you kind of pay what I like to call the pioneer tax. You're you're kind of paying for the name and the standard rather than maybe what's best for you. So it's a very pricey option, and it's actually kind of limited as far as what you can do with, say, a Control S8. It's one of those things that you need to really be sure that that's what you want to do before doing it because it is the easiest way to blow a lot of money at once <laughs> if you decide that you want to use... Um, CDJs. And then, of course, you can use uh, records as well. You can mix on vinyl. Um, you're setting yourself up for a little more difficulty by doing this, uh, not just because of the level of skill it requires to mix records, but also because suddenly you're, you're, you're limited by whatever releases actually come out on wax. So you can't, you can no longer just get on Beatport and download a bunch of music or SoundCloud, or Bandcamp, or iTunes, or wherever you get your tunes from, suddenly it all depends on whichever labels release on vinyl. So it's definitely not the route for anyone, but for a lot of people, it's the only way. Vinyl purists, you know, and that sort of thing, or if it's just what what really floats your boat, I get it. I play on records as well. I love playing on records. I've 
not been willing to limit myself to records because it's just uh, it's very limiting to me. Um, but limiting uh, limitations also inspire creativity. So I will definitely not call anybody out for doing that. Just want to make sure that you know what you're getting into. So, and then there is sort of a, an in between option, which is uh, what we talked about earlier, time code. So the idea of time code, and this this was uh, pioneered by Final Scratch, you know, a handful of years ago. But basically, you have a record or a CD that has a uh, a certain audio signal on it that your audio interface or mixer or whatever has the capability will interpret that audio signal so that it will actually translate to controlling an mp3 that's playing on your laptop so for example if i had uh, just like a house track playing and my record spinning around and it's playing my record is playing the signal but it's not actually playing the real song that you're hearing it's playing this kind of high-pitched whine noise that's uh it's sort of a a sine wave thing that, that you know there's a bunch of technical aspects on how it works but Basically, it's able to detect when you speed the record up, slow it down, scratch, move, the, manipulate the record or, C, or the CDJ, for example, in any way. And so then the computer interprets that and then it moves the audio, moves the MP3 around in the same way that you're manipula- manipulating the record. This is also called a DVS or a digital vinyl system. So this is a really cool uh, kind of a kind of a Frankenstein setup for some people. I use my S8 this way. I've got my turntables hooked up to it, so I kind of have the best of both worlds. It's a little more complicated and can cause issues in a live environment, so I'm warning you there. But this is a great option for people who are already DJs. Maybe they, you know, grew up playing records and then they want to come back into DJing and they realize it's kind of impractical, but they still love records. This is kind of a good in-between for that DJ. So... Step six is to record a mix. So you're going to record your first mix, and you're going to try to tell a story with this mix. Now we're getting into the fun creative stuff, right? So taking the knowledge that you've gained thus far, uh, hit the record button and see what you sound like. If you're using software and you're using internal mixing, this is really easy. They have built-in capability of recording your set so all you have to do is hit the button and you're basically set a lot of standalone mixers contain an internal sound card and you can uh, configure them in various ways to record them or you can get a portable handheld recorder Uh, there are a number of ways to do it but uh, record yourself and see how you sound now recording a studio mix what i call a studio mix or a bedroom mix it's obviously a little bit different than playing in front of a crowd So you're not necessarily honing all of your skills by just playing music in your bedroom, but you're honing a very specific set of skills. You know, you're learning, you're not learning how to read a crowd and that sort of thing, but you are learning the tools to put in your arsenal for when you are in front of a crowd. Um, You can use this opportunity to think about how to tell a story within your set. It doesn't have to be, you know, an all-out concept mix or anything, but think about how you want to start, uh, think about where you want to be when you finish, and then figure out how you're going to get from that point A to point B and record it. What I like to do sometimes is imagine that I am actually in front of a crowd, and uh, then I like to play that scenario out in my head as I'm mixing. So this is the point at which you teach yourself to not be mediocre. (laughs) 
Uh, many novice DJs tend to hammer out their quote-unquote banger tracks one after another for an hour or two, and there's no sense of ebb and flow. There's no sense of direction. And this can be boring and tiresome for a lot of people. You're the DJ. You have the creative license. You can play however you want, but I suggest learning how to think of a DJ set in the context of the whole set instead of just of its individual parts, if that makes sense. So um, I tend to think that this is what separates uh, decent DJs from great ones. I like to approach a recorded mix like a well-constructed artist album. It's not entirely flat, but it is entirely cohesive. And this also gives you a great point to experiment, try different things, and then to uh, wait a day or two, go back and listen to your recording and evaluate it with a, a fresh perspective because you'll be surprised at how different it sounds to you if you wait for a day or two. If you're like me, you might be pleasantly surprised uh, because I'll often make what I think are small mistakes in the moment. And then if I wait a while and go back and listen to it, I don't even notice them. So you might be pleasantly surprised. So don't freak out if you mess up. Just keep the recording going keep and uh, keep on mixing and see what comes out. This isn't necessarily anything to publish. This is just for your benefit. So uh, step six, record a mix. Step seven is to start building a following. So this is where you begin to brand yourself. You construct your support base, you build an online presence, and you show people what your worth is. Once you've gotten to the point where you can record a mix or two that you're proud of and you're ready to publish, put them on, say, Mixcloud. A lot of people put them on SoundCloud, but SoundCloud's going through a lot of... uh, controversy right now as far as uh, copyrighted content and that sort of thing. So I, I would recommend using something like Mixcloud and there are other options out there. Try to get some feedback. Try to find an active online community somewhere like Passionate DJ or DJ Tech Tools. Their forums are great. If you're a genre-specific DJ, you can seek out forums and communities based on those styles, you know, maybe hip-hop forums or whatever. But it's very important that you don't just leech from these communities, you know. Uh, Do what you can to give back. Contribute to these communities. And you're a lot more likely to get feedback yourself and for people to be willing to help you. Eventually, you'll want to start building an online presence for yourself, right? And I'm kind of using Passionate DJ to do this alongside of my DJing. So your entire brand is not necessarily just what is being put through your mixer at any given time you're actually trying to brand yourself you know what are people going to think of when they think of me as a dj you know david michael the dj who is that what does he play what's his vibe what's his attitude uh how does he interact with his fans and that sort of thing i definitely recommend having like a personal homepage, preferably with your own domain like i have dmichael.org and a facebook fan page those are kind of your basics And, you know, it's, I'm a big fan of being kind of everywhere, but at the same time, don't spread yourself too thin. So, you know, don't sign up for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, SoundCloud, uh, and, you know, all these various different channels and then neglect them all because it's a lot better if you take maybe uh, one of those channels, whatever's working for you. Um, most people start on Facebook because that's what everybody uses. Uh, hi to my friend Chris Callis on the uh, Periscope. 
focus on one at a time, build your audience there, and then worry about growing out into other channels. If you're tech savvy enough, you can build your own website, or you could also go to a place like Elance or Odesk or that sort of thing. And typically, you can get it taken care of pretty cheap. And then uh, if you're once you're starting to build an audience, you need to give them something, right? Uh, it's not always just check out my mix, check out my mix, check out my mix, check out my mix. People get tired of that really fast. So uh, one thing that you can do is maybe create a YouTube channel. Maybe you can put up little 10-minute mixes or mashups or whatever it is that you're into, depending on the type of DJ that you are. Trickle them little bits of content because, you know, this isn't a case where you're going to record a mix put it up there and then you know DJ Jazzy Jeff sees it and goes oh my god this guy's amazing I'm going to share him on my social media and then suddenly you're a famous DJ that that sort of thing just almost never happens so what you need to do is trickle content to them this will help you in uh, uh, this this idea of kind of creating your own personal brand and what people think about when they think of you as a DJ so building an online presence this is a good route to take and it will help you develop skills, but it won't necessarily directly lead you to gigs. So that's when you kind of move on to local promotion. So that's what step eight is, uh, hustle. This is where you put in your time. So let's go over real quick. We've got step one, learn what DJs actually do. Step two, determine why you want to DJ. Step three, test the waters. Step four, learn your basic skills, the beat matching, EQing, phrasing, and so on. Step five is to break out of the box, try your hand at some hardware. Step six is to record a mix for personal use and evaluate it. Step seven is where we're at now, building a following. And then, of course, step eight, hustle. Put in your time. This is the most crucial step in the whole process. If you've gotten this far, don't sleep on this step. Um, If you're trying to break into... A particular scene you need to make yourself valuable to that scene before you expect to be playing shows all the time there's not any one specific way to approach this it's all about making yourself a resource making yourself valuable to your scene and those who um, can help you if you help them and I don't mean to present that in a way that it's you know, you know what's in it for me what's in it for me you'll have a lot more success if you genuinely care about what's going on in your local scene or wherever your audience is. I say scene because that's most related to me. I think of nightclubs and and, uh, the dance scene in my own town, but go where your audience is and then figure out how to make yourself a resource to them. Uh, You know, early in my journey as a sort of a small town DJ, uh, the nightlife scene that I was interested in was in this huge lull. There was just nothing happening. And so, you know, my approach was to go to a, a struggling bar and say, hey, I have this concept. I want to start playing music. I have nowhere to play it. Will you give me a night? And they said, sure. And that started out this whole journey for me. So, you know, it wasn't uh, what I would call a raging success, but it it put me in front of an audience. It taught me how to play. It got me used to playing in a club or a bar, um, hooking up to a real-life PA system and that sort of thing. And it gave me the initial insight into uh, kind of the promotional side of things, how to start you know, promoting myself and branding myself. So you know, in the bar and club world, it's, uh, it's largely about who you know, but that's just the way things kind of work. But when you befriend like-minded people in the scene... It kind of teaches you how to, what I often say is network like a gentleman or network like a lady. You know, it's you start 
forming these connections and these friendships and these bonds over these common interests. And then, uh, you know, when you've got two or three people with, that are putting your heads together, it's amazing what you can accomplish. So, but, you know, we're kind of talking about promotion and stuff, but it's hustling runs the gamut. This goes across the board. This isn't just uh, go out there and, and promote, 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 promote. When I say hustle or put in your time, I'm talking about practicing. I'm talking about all these different things, uh, developing your skills and doing justice to your craft. So definitely hustle and don't skip the step. And by the way, this is one of the few steps that is just constantly recurring. You don't hustle for a while and then build up a following and then you're done and you're like, yeah, I have a following now. Uh, This is something that is uh, eternal, that you're going to be uh, promoting yourself until the end of time or until you're done DJing. So uh, don't sleep on that. So step nine. Now we're pursuing our first DJ gigs. This is playing in front of real people, right? So a great way to get some experience under your belt is to play or throw house parties, um, if that's something that you're into. So uh, if it's your party, you can book a few local season DJs to, to play for you, and maybe you can warm up for them, just as if you were warming up for a club headliner and that sort of thing. And this is a great way to to start playing in front of people and seeing what it's like to do that. If you're getting into the whole uh, mobile DJing thing, you know, if you want to become a wedding DJ, that sort of thing, try to find special one-off events that you can play. Uh, You might not want your first live gig to be somebody's wedding. (laughs) So I like to to play... um, I like little street fairs. There's, I have a friend who owns a consignment shop, and I would just ask, hey, can I come in uh, on Saturday and play tunes for a couple hours? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, get a little bit of experience playing in front of live people. You'd be surprised if you kind of look outside of the box uh, what kind of gigs that you can score that aren't necessarily what you would expect. You know, I think a lot of DJs come into this and they're like, okay, I need to try to play at XYZ Club. And then they contact that club and then they play there or they don't, but then they stop. There's a lot of value in diversifying the types of gigs that you do, even if your primary intent is to be this kind of club DJ or whatever it is that your approach is. You you will learn a lot of tools for your arsenal if you start playing these unique types of gigs, you know, going to quirky retail shops or whatever it is and saying, hey, can I play for you? You may have to do some shows for free, and you have to be careful there because it's easy to get stuck playing for free, especially in a small scene like mine. But in in the club scene, you know, throwing your own night is another great way to get some gigs, gain experience, become known. Start handing out demos, business cards, and that sort of thing to promoters, DJs, and friends at their events. Show them that you are supporting them and coming to their shows people notice when you're willing to support them and they're a lot more likely to support you back. So uh, one thing that I did, I think it was last year, I created, I guess you would call them flyers. But they were they were almost thank you cards and I handed them out at a show that I threw um, and it said, thank you for coming, blah, blah, blah. And I had a link to where you could download the set that I played that night as soon as you got home. So it was like, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to my show. If you would like to hear the music, uh, recordings of the music you heard tonight, go to blah, blah, blah.com slash name of the event, for example. And then it's like, hey, thank you so much for going to the event on such and such date. It was a great time. Here are a couple pictures. Uh, By the way, here's my mix and uh, follow me on Facebook. You know, that sort of thing. So some of that's kind of 
thinking ahead, you know, that's just sort of a promotional tip. That's not necessarily about getting your first gigs, but I do have a few tips as far as getting those first couple of gigs. So become known by the regulars in your scene or venue before approaching a manager or promoter formally. Okay. And if you've done, if you've done a good job with step seven, which is uh, where we are talking about branding yourself, don't just sell yourself as a DJ, sell yourself as a brand. Okay. And then sort of initially accept the fact that you're going to play your share of empty rooms. Okay. This is going to happen. Get over it. And yeah, yeah. Okay. In the guide, I mentioned that the DJ hustle never ends. We kind of talked about that a little bit, um, unless you've somehow managed to reach a legendary status. So make sure that you keep your ego in check and don't let your experience go to your head. Staying humble and always having a how can I provide value approach will keep you fresh and positive. And who doesn't like working with nice, positive people, right? And then, of course, we are down to the final tip, which is hone your craft. So learn to work the floor and consider learning more advanced skills. Um, After you've gotten some DJ gigs under your belt, you've been bitten by the DJ bug, you're for sure this is a long-term venture for you, right? So... Now you can just sit back, let the gigs flow in, right? Wrong. This is where you start putting in work so that you can become an expert, so that you can stand above, you can become a cream of the crop type DJ, right? Uh, Many, many, many DJs skip this step once they feel they're good enough. Once they can create functional mixes and play in front of a crowd and they're not scared to do it anymore, uh, they just quit. And that's hardly a path to excellence. So there's a lot more to DJing than transitioning from one track to another. You've got to learn to read the crowd and basically predict the future uh, in a, a short-term kind of way. Uh, you were hired to be a DJ, not an iPod. So you learn to be somewhat reactive when you have an audience. You need to learn how to get better at finding music, which reflects your unique tastes and yet works with your audience. So you kind of have a... Uh, coming together of uh, what the audience wants to hear versus what you want to play. The best DJs are able to find that balance. Do your homework and show up early to events that you're playing because this will help you choose the direction of your set. And then, of course, uh, one of the most important things that you can do is to learn to play the right gigs in the first place, okay? Because once you've gained a little bit of experience and momentum, you can start being choosier about your gigs, and this goes along with creating your personal brand and also helps you to be happier and more successful as a DJ, even on a small scale, because uh, there's nothing worse than playing a gig to the wrong crowd that doesn't fit with your style. It's pretty embarrassing and uh, discouraging, so part of the game is just learning how to pick the right gigs. So there are a number of things that you can do to make yourself stand out as a DJ. Um, A lot of DJs, especially ones who play a lot of melodic content, so maybe trance DJs or some deep house DJs and so on, they like to mix in key so that you can kind of overlay those melodies and stuff together and kind of create mashups that don't sound terrible. (laughs) You know, turntablists and scratch DJs can never have enough practice and fine-tuning of their skills. They're always going to need to practice. Uh, Maybe you're more interested in adding a a live element to your set. So uh, Tractor is great for this. this. You can add, uh, you know, we've got remix decks and stems and all these different ways to make your set a little more interactive. 
just make sure that when you're when you're doing this and you're honing your craft and you're focusing on these different things make sure that you're doing something that's worth listening to or wa- uh, or watching gimmicks are only going to get you so far so you can't just expect to put on a big mouse head and have that level of success you know what i mean develop yourself as an artist so that people have a reason to pay attention to you I have a quote in here in this guide, and it's from my very first blog post on Passionate DJ, and it goes like this. Be versatile. This doesn't mean that you have to arrive at every gig with every style of music and compromise your own sense of style and musical taste in order to water it down for the masses. It simply means that you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself if you want to provide value. Notice how I keep saying provide value. I know that when I play, say, a fashion show in a nightclub, I need to play music that is upbeat and bouncy without being too obnoxious or vocal. I know that when I play an underground event at a warehouse somewhere, my crowd is going to be bored to tears if I play 95 beats per minute jazzy trip hop. This one may seem obvious, but I see this happen so often that it's silly. Big wobbly dubstep tracks don't typically belong at a coffee shop at 8 (laughs) p.m. All right, so I've got a couple of final tips to wrap up the show. First one is, don't expect to quit your day job. In today's sort of digitally accessible world, it's easy to become a DJ, okay? So don't be intimidated. It's very easy to become a DJ. Um, But making a living as a DJ is difficult, and becoming a famous DJ is even more difficult. I'm not saying that you can't do it, that you can't make a living doing this. You absolutely can. But don't think that it's just flip a switch and you're there, okay? You have to do these steps. You have to hustle and put in your time. You need to put in the work and it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, Next tip is to do what makes you happy. As far as your approach to DJing, you know, there's there's always going to be some level of compromise when it comes to DJing because you're dealing with an audience that has expectations. Um, and this is kind of where being choosy about your gigs comes in. Do what makes you happy as a DJ, and you'll be a lot more likely to advance as one. And then I have a link to uh, five tips to guarantee your happiness as a DJ, which I will include in the show notes at passionatedj.com slash 021. And then, of course, I mentioned don't ever move past step 10 as on this list. Always develop yourself as a person and, and as a DJ. Don't get stagnant. Learn the value of subtlety. This will help you with your crowd reading and will help you turn your sets into a journey instead of a cyclone. Okay, so I think this is, a, um, this is almost an advanced level tip because subtlety is almost... It's something that DJs almost never learn until they've been doing it for a while. Everybody wants to, uh, wants that kind of instant gratification. They want to slam out all their banger tracks. They want to just be very in your face. And, and for some styles of DJing, that's fine. But there is some value in learning how to utilize subtlety and knowing when to hold back. And then uh, finally, it doesn't matter that anyone can DJ these days. What matters is that you do it better. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up the guide here. Um, This is, uh, we've been recording for a good while now, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. I want to thank you guys so much for listening today, and thank you guys on Periscope uh, for joining in. You can join me on Periscope. I'll probably do this again next time. This was kind of cool. So follow me at DJ with Passion, and we will see you guys next time. Peace.
Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionate DJ or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. Oh.